when I was uh, contemplating about what I was speaking on tonight, I was um, the theme was clear, uh, but I wasn't quite sure which reading to have, and uh, and so thank you very much, Cameron, for uh, for reading that powerful reading, that isn't it? An incredible account of um, a once and forever occasion. Jesus, the Son of God, giving everything for each one of us. What an incredible, an incredible moment in history that was. And I want to think about history a little bit tonight, and uh, history makers, and points in time. And it's almost, if you like, a beginning to end of the Bible sort of thought that I've got. Um, but I'm going to ask you a few questions first. <coughs> By God. Mm. I'm going to ask you a few questions first. And I'm going to give you nine years either way to see if you get the answers right. Is that okay? Right. This is just to see if you're awake. Norman, I'm looking at you when I say that. I'm only kidding. <laughs> okay, here we go. I've got seven questions. Because seven's perfection. Apparently. It is. Right. When did Alexander Graham Bell make his first telephone call? Ten years. He, uh, uh, come on, I'll give you... Twenties. Twenties? No. When he was connected. When he was connected. <laughs> yes, when he paid the bill. 1890s. Ooh, close. 1876. 10th of March. So, good. Okay. What year did... This is... You might get this one a bit more recent. What year did Bob Geldof, Midger and Harvey Goldsmith produce Live Aid? 76. 82? Oh, no, who said 85? Michael. Michael, well done Michael. Michael gets today's star prize, which is sitting next to Lynn. Oh, he's got his prize already, what do you know? Fantastic. Well, there you go. Um, when did John Wesley draw the deed of declaration to form the Methodist Church? 1750s. Ooh, not bad, close-ish. Oh, 1784. 1784, John. Fantastic. I wish I could give you a big prize for that one, but Michael's already got Lynn, so we're out of prizes. Yeah, 1784, 28th of February. That's quite remarkable as well, isn't it? Um, the NHS was established in which year by Nye Bevan? 47. 46. 48, 5th of July, 48. Very good. The year George Stevenson demonstrated his first steam engine? 1814, 25th of July. There we go. I tell you what, if we're, having, if we're having points, this team's doing really well. This team, you need to do up your game a bit. Which, which, no, sorry, when did Frank Whittle test the first jet engine? 1930. <laughs> 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 you got the first one, thank you. Can't have a roll, can you? 1937. Yeah, 37. Yeah. 1937, 12th of April. Yeah. As early as that. And in what year did Watson and Crick discover the double helix model for structure of DNA? I'm looking at Cameron, I'm wondering whether you might know that one. <laughs> Physicist, not biologist. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> 1953. 53. The year my brother was born. God, what a bad year that was. What? Yeah, sorry. Point of our syllabus, I was going to say that. Uh, uh, oh, uh, point of order, gentlemen. Honestly. Honestly. 1953, that's right. 
history, history makers. You know, all of uh, those people at some, at some point have changed the course of our lives, haven't they? Because all of those things, if you like, have affected us. They have. And even though some of them might be quite ordinary, they've made a, a huge difference. I wonder what Alexander Graham Bell would make of the mobile phone. Now. Transformed, isn't it? But you know, there's one person, no ordinary person, God's son in fact, who's impacted our lives more than anybody else throughout the course of history. The one who's here with us tonight and the one who can change lives here tonight and the one who changes lives all over the world. We've already read about one of the most impactful accounts of that person's life, his death, tonight as we've read the Bible passage. You know, as I said, it's going to be a bit of a, a trip right through, a trip, is that the right word? A, a journey right through uh, the scripture tonight. We're starting from the very first four words in the Bible, which were, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And God didn't just make history, he created it, he invented it, he brought time into being. Before time or history began, we've read it many times, haven't we? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, it says in Genesis, God. God created. And the, he spoke the Word, and the universe, the world, and everything in it was formed. Amazing that, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely astounding. Everything came to life. God was and is and is to come. Eternal. The eternal Father, the founder of all things. And it says in the fourth verse of the hymn, Crown with many crowns, crown him the Lord of years, the potentate of time. And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. Simply put, God is the Lord of time. He has everything in control. His life, sorry, our lives are in his hands. He knows what we need and what we're up against from moment to moment, even before we know it ourselves. We are in his hands. He was before the beginning of time, created it, holds it in his hands, and everything, if you think about it, has a beginning. Except God, who has always been, because he is all-powerful, Father, Son, and Spirit, without beginning and without end. And Hayden and myself were just remarking just before the service, did anybody see the uh, sunset as we're coming to church tonight? Marvellous, wasn't it? Absolutely magnificent. How great is our God? And he created that. And that's only a little bit of what he created. He is almighty. He is wonderful. Creation was the point at which first history was made. You know, some would have us believe that accidentally there was a collision of particles or materials or whatever. And there was a big bang. But I believe that that wasn't the case. I believe that in the beginning, God. God. Everything starts with God. Everyone starts with God. We sang it tonight. He breathed life. The only one who breathed life into clay. The only one who can redeem. The only one who went to the cross. The only one. God. In the beginning, God. The world's first 
He spoke the word and in six days he created everything and saw that it was good. And in the case of Adam and Eve, it was very good. It was very good. So time came into being from eternity when history was first made. And from that moment, the Lord has faithfully sustained the world, hasn't he? We all know the old hymn. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest. Sun, moon and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature. Great sunset. Join with all nature. We can join with them too. In manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy and love. And this is our God. This is how great he is. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. You know, the Old Testament Hebrew word for create is only ever used in a divine form. By God. God creates. Mankind might invent or discover or copy, but only God can create. And only God can recreate too can regenerate us, transform us, give us new life, <coughs> life to our souls, to our spirits, redeem us. Only he can do that. He is truly almighty. I was thrilled when we had that song tonight because he's the only one. He's the only one. No matter what anybody else says, he is the only one. If I, were, if I had chosen an, uh, an alternative reading tonight, it would have been from Colossians 1. And um, you may wish to also look at that, but Colossians 1, I'm going to read a few verses as we go through tonight. And uh, 1 to 15, sorry, 1 15 to 17 says this. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, all things, and in him all things hold together. He is preeminent. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He is God. So there we have it, in the beginning, God. Fantastic. Everything was literally rosy in the garden, wasn't it? The garden of Eden. Sadly, though, as we know, mankind made their mark very soon. It's incredible, isn't it? You only get the first two chapters, and then by chapter three, Adam and Eve put their foot in it. It's not exactly, I mean, how, how big is the Bible? And uh, let's have a look. I can't quite find the chapters one and two, but it can only be a few pages, can't it? And my, when I, by the time I get the Revelation, I'm on um, 1900 pages. So that was a pretty poor show from mankind, wasn't it? Adam and Eve made history for all the wrong reasons. All the wrong reasons. We know the account how the serpent deceived Eve and ultimately Adam with four words four words of a rebellious nature, just four words. Did God really say? Did God really say? 
And the question and response to it changed the course of human history, causing Adam and Eve to doubt God's word. Satan wanted to alienate mankind from God, and sin entered into the world. Did God really say? The lies. Isn't that just one way? Did God really say? Don't all roads lead to God? Did God really say? Can't we just do our own thing? It'll be alright in the end. Did God really say? I'm trying to do my best. Did God really say? If God's a God of love, won't we get there anyway? Did God really say? The doubts. The lies of the devil. And isn't that the persistent work of the enemy of our souls, friends? He wants us to be alienated from God. He wants us to be separate from God. He nurtures that rebellion, that going against what is holy and true, or more pointedly, he who is holy and true, God himself. And sin continued to worsen right up until the days of Noah, it says in the Bible, doesn't it? Continued to worsen. Then God made history again. There was a judgment, an account, a time when people were held to account. And we know what happened. There was a great flood. And everybody, apart from eight, perished. Everybody. But I wrote a, a, a sentence down, which I'd read. And it's an encouragement to each one of us, I hope. Salvation came through obedience to God's plan and purpose. And that was true for Noah. And as we'll see, that was true when Jesus came. Salvation came through obedience to God's plan and purpose. Sealed by God's own hand. And very much more sealed by God's hands on the cross later on. See, just as time came into being from eternity by God's power and word, so also salvation came. From eternity was God's plan. And it was therefore from eternity God's plan specifically is gift of grace, which is through Jesus' sacrifice for us all. Only one. Only one. The way of grace back to God, a new and living way, only one. The way, the only way for, as the hymn says, man, mankind will rise to that divine abode. Only one way. And as we thought about last week briefly, Jesus said, I am the way, not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus came and made history here on earth. The Son of God became the Son of Man. We know this, don't we? Philippians 2 talks about this. How he left heaven. How he left the glory of heaven. And the Son of God made himself nothing. A servant. Even a sacrifice. You know, as I was thinking of this, um, things come into your mind, don't they? And um, I think more recently, well, I'm saying recently, it's before my time, but of uh, Edward and Wallace Simpson, and uh, he, how he abdicated. And uh, he gave up a lot, but from what I understand, he had quite a lovely life elsewhere, didn't he? So kings and princes and royal figures throughout history may have stepped aside, but I would suggest that they still retain many privileges 
and they're stepped aside almost entirely for their own benefit. But our Saviour Jesus emptied himself of all but love. Our Saviour Jesus made history in giving everything up, not for his sake, but for ours. Mm. And for his fathers, mm. who want us to bring us back to him. It wasn't for his benefit that he came to earth, it was for ours. Mm. Gone the high position, gone the glory of heaven, <coughs> gone the privilege of his, of his deity, and as we read tonight, when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was even that connection when the Father, as we were singing in him, don't we? Turned the face away. You couldn't bear to see his son suffering with sin on the cross. What an agony that was. What an agony that was. But he did it. He did it for us. God the Son became flesh, born in humble beginnings in an ordinary family. And he did it all for us, for you and me. The Prince of Glory died on the cross. But I'm pleased to say, and you can be excited by this, you can even be happy about it, joyful. He's raised to life. He is alive. He conquered sin and death. He made history. And now he's risen and at the right hand of his Father. Alive interceding for us. Isn't that wonderful? That is only one. I'm going to look, but you know what I'm pointing at. Only one. And as we read, if we read further in Colossians 1, it would have said this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether <laughs> things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross making peace another point in history folks Jesus, we were lost in the beginning God Adam and Eve came sin came, we were lost Jesus came making peace making peace through his blood shed on the cross not only did Jesus make history but he fulfilled historical words too Think of all of those scriptures that we read, often near Christmas, from Isaiah and some of the other prophets. You know, about Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. How he grew up. How, in, if you think about Isaiah 53, how he was beaten and bruised and marred more than any person. How he didn't speak up as a sheep before their shearers is done. All of those facts, that historical accounts, foretold and Jesus fulfilled and as we've been thinking our devotions recently if he kept his word through the prophets for his first advent then we'd be sure of his second advent too he's coming again and we need to be ready we must be ready to be sure Jesus will make history once more when he returns and we need to be ready at the end of time but I'm pleased to say that Jesus isn't just a historical figure. He's here tonight. He's alive. And through his spirit, he is with us and in us. He wasn't just a great man or a revered prophet or an amazing teacher. or the old, He was all of those things. But Jesus is 
underlined, present tense, exclamation mark, bold, capitals, whatever, highlighted. Jesus is changing lives still today. Thank you. He is great across the world right now. <laughs> praise God. Jesus still saves. Jesus still forgives. Jesus still transforms lives. To paraphrase what I said previously, history was made when saving grace came into being from eternity. Well, Jesus came to bring salvation to the whosoever. Thank you. Whosoever who comes to him. Isaiah 49 verses 8 to 10 foretells of a time of favour when the Messiah will bring restoration. And it reads like this. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favour I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all the bare heights shall their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. And by springs of water will guide them. Isn't that right? The Lord has said, come out. Come out of the world and sin. Appear. <coughs> Be brought in the light. And I love that. He has pity. He will lead them. Lead us. By springs of water will guide us in the pasture. What an incredible message. A new covenant. A new way. A lasting protection. An eternal salvation. Being led by I am. I am. I said Hayden sent me the reading last, uh, for last Sunday night. Uh, last Sunday morning, I think it was actually, and I said, I'm going to touch on that next Sunday night. I am. The Lord <coughs> is consistent in our lives, in our fellowship, in the world, throughout time and in eternity. In Revelation 7, 16 and 17, references this passage from Isaiah. It says this, and you might recognize this. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wonderful that, isn't it? Because let's be honest, there's a lot of pain in this world sometimes. There is. Even for Christians, there's a lot of pain. But in that day, There'll be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. Because the Lamb, the Lamb, Jesus, will lead us. And I've got a one-line text for the night. I'm not quite finished, but I've got a one-line text for the night. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 2. Very well-known passage, very well-known scripture. Very well-used in a gospel service too. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. And it's all about now. We think about history and we think about the future too. But it's all about what we do now. What is important is how we react to Jesus now. Do we trust him now? Are we living for him now? What are we doing for him now? 
Can't wait. The call's immediate. Everyone who hears the message needs to believe. We don't know how many opportunities we'll have. Whether it be a commitment or a recommitment, God, God calls us in his time of favour. Isn't that lovely? Remember that scripture where it says, God isn't slow to keep his promises, but he's patient. Patient with us, because he doesn't want anyone to perish. That's how loving he is. That's how kind he is. That's how father-like and tender he is. But it's now. Someone once quipped, history repeats itself. It has to because nobody ever listens. Well, I can tell you now that Jesus is coming again, but it's not to be the sacrifice. It's to be the coming king. And we need to be ready. His sacrifice was once and for all. 1 Peter 3, verse 18 confirms this. It says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. To bring you to God. And what's the outcome of this incredible account that we've had tonight? The death of Jesus, and as we know, three days later, he rose again. Isn't it wonderful on Easter morning when you read that account? And well, yeah, I'm I'm right in saying everybody gets excited about it. Don't get excited about the fact that Jesus is alive every day. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Well, what's the the, the outcome for anyone who believes? Verses 21 to 23 of Colossians 1 says this. It gives us a contrast. But what a contrast it is. Once you were alienated from God, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Free from accusation. The accuser has no power. Free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The gospel, the good news, Jesus died for you, for me, so that we could be made right, presented holy without blemish and free from accusation. And the final challenge for us tonight is who believe, is what a difference we can make in him. We can make history. I'm not talking about, you know, inventing something or creating something or whatever, discovering something. But we make a difference. We don't need to be, you know, uh, like the heroes of faith, as it were, although God wants us to be as close to him as possible. But we might just be ordinary. But remember, pastors' daily devotions have emphasised recently living a life of light, making a difference in a dark world, shining for him, being his ambassadors, declaring and living in his love, being his hands, being his feet, being his mouthpiece, through the Holy Spirit's guidance and strength. You know, folks, where we've talked about history, but the fact that God is in eternity, but have you ever thought about the fact that we are part of God's plan for eternity too? By what we do here, but one day 
we're going to be praising him and worshipping him in turn. So God's got a plan for us from now right through to eternity. We might be ordinary people, but let's make sure we're living for him. And let's make sure we make the mark that he wants us to.